Okay, everybody, welcome to Sunday School. We are to the end of 1 Samuel. We've actually, we've actually studied through all 31 chapters, so we're on a review lesson. Um, this morning, what my plan is for review is um, to kind of do it in two ways. As first side is we're going to look at three people, because I think... Uh, as you notice in 1 Samuel, it kind of focuses around three different people. The second side is to look at um, some important themes in 1 Samuel, which if you look at it, it will be, should be very familiar if you can remember all the way back to the introduction, because I actually kind of stole some of this from the introduction and expanded on it a little bit, so it's not exactly new. Um, and my idea for doing this this morning is to kind of give you a one-sheet, two-page thing that you can take with you, and then if you ever want to look back and kind of say, what was First Samuel about, to kind of give you something that you can pull out and say, oh, okay, this is kind of gives me an outline, a kind of idea of some things that are in First Samuel, or somebody asks you, what do you know about First Samuel? I don't know if anybody will ever ask you that, but you can kind of, this is kind of a reference. It's not anything profound. It's not going to be like, drop your jaw, or I, I don't know if it's going to be life-shattering type ideas, but just kind of um, go through and kind of give you just kind of overview of what we studied um, and as kind of some things to look at and remember from First Samuel, which I think were important and uh, kind of overview. So I, I don't think you're, you're going to like, it's going to change your life profoundly this morning by what we go through, but hopefully it will help you remember some things to take away from First Samuel that we studied over the last several months that we were in First Samuel. And as Pastor Jim said, we're uh, going to take a little break, uh, four to six weeks maybe, uh, from 1 Samuel before we jump into 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel is a little different. It uh, focuses basically on David and his reign. Uh, all 2 Samuel is uh, David's 40 years of reigning. And so instead of being three people, it's just one person. Um, and then we go through Kings, which uh, covers a lot larger portion of Israel's history. First and Second Kings uh deals with Solomon and then the divided kingdom and so uh, when we get to those it's going to be a much larger overview and sometimes we're going to you're going to have a whole king's reign in you know two or three verses so uh, much larger extent so when David will go through his life in very great detail and then it's going to go much faster over much of the history of Israel so but that's further down the line so that'll be you know probably next year at the very earliest probably <laughs> Um, so we'll get to that, and then uh, um, after that, uh, you know, I'm thinking way down the line. Rapture. Yeah, that's <laughs> what hoping for rapture at that point. Um, if we get to Chronicles, um, as you know, Chronicles kind of deals with, um, kind of goes back over the same territory, so I don't know how we're going to deal with that, where you go back over the same stuff, or, or what we're going to do there, so we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So let's go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll... Uh, go over this material this morning. Uh, so Lemuel, will you open us in prayer? Okay, so review for Samuel. You hopefully are on the page where it says First uh, Samuel focused around three people. Uh, so look at the three people. I gave you no blanks this morning. I just figured 
you'll pay attention and uh, follow along. And if you don't, then that's uh, going to be your fault, and you'll, you won't get anything out of it. But that's your problem. Yep, shame on you. Exactly. Listen to Ed. He has it there. Uh, so focus around three people. The first person is obviously Samuel. And if you remember, first and second Samuel is named after Samuel, not because Samuel's the main figure throughout them, but because uh, Samuel basically got this process started here, and it's a result of what Samuel started anointing Saul and David. Um, even though Samuel dies midway through first Samuel and doesn't really appear at all in second Samuel, it's the result of his uh, ministry before the Lord uh, that we see what goes on in First and Second Samuel. So we have Samuel, and he's he's a prominent figure in verses in chapters one through sixteen. Um, he's the son of Elkanah and Hannah. Uh, and remember, Hannah prayed to the Lord for Samuel, and the Lord heard her prayer. And of course, Samuel's name means. Anybody remember? Nobody remember what Samuel's name means? Oh, you Hebrews terrible people. So it's God hears. Samuel's name means God hears. It's Shmuel. I, uh, Sammy Subra, I used to always call him Shmuel. Um, of course, that there that was appropriate. I don't know if you know the story. Um, Jane asked Kevin if it was okay if they prayed for one more child because she wanted one more child. And Kevin, of course, said, yeah, we can pray for another child. And they had a 15th child. And so they named him Shmuel, God hears, because they prayed for him. Same name for same reason. Um, and so uh, a good name, God hears. So Hannah prayed to the Lord for Samuel, and the Lord here prayed. And then Hannah, uh, in her prayer, remember she said, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. Literally. Uh, she gave him to the service of the Lord, so Hannah gave Samuel back to the Lord. Uh, literally put him into the service of the temple to serve Eli, the high priest at the time. And remember that Samuel, uh, he was given back after he was weaned, he was given back to the Lord to the service of the high priest, and he served the Lord faithfully. First Samuel three nineteen through 20, I have in your notes. I'm going to let you guys read still, because I still have candy. Nathan, you want to read? And here, I'll give you the candy jar right away, so it goes out. Yeah. Nathan's going to keep it forever. So Samuel grew, which is nice. You want to grow, right, as your child? And the Lord was with him, and that's an important statement there. The Lord was with Samuel, and we'll see that later on as we read some verses, that Samuel had a testimony that the Lord was with him. Samuel did what the Lord wanted him to do. He was faithful, and God let none of his words fall to the ground. Now, what does that mean? How do words fall to the ground? Ignored. Uh, they didn't come to pass. So none of his words fell to the ground. Everything he said came true. Everything he said was important. Everything he said was listened to. 
Um, and then in verse 20, all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. We look at our map, where's Dan on here? Dan's here. Um, Beersheba's down here. So it's the lower half here, but um, at that time, that was a big portion of Israel. From Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Now, why was that a big deal? Okay. God used prophets, but what, why else was that a big deal? How many prophets had there been before Samuel? Yeah, he was, he, remember, there was not a prophet before this. After, after Moses, God had not spoken to Israel through prophets for about 300 years. And then he started speaking through Samuel. Samuel was basically the first prophet to come around after Moses. And so this was a, a new thing that Samuel all of a sudden was speaking on behalf of the Lord, and God hadn't been doing this. Hmm? About 300 years between Moses and Samuel. And so, so Israel was seeing a new thing in Samuel, and God was using Samuel in a new way here. Um, so he had been established as a prophet of the Lord. So Samuel served as a prophet. He ends up serving as a priest because remember what God does to Eli. Yep, he kills him and his sons because of their wickedness. And he ends up serving as a judge because he's uh, finishing out the judges in Israel as God chose men to... And remember, this isn't judges like we have as judges. Our judges are people that sit in courtrooms and go, okay, let's hear the evidence. Okay, you're guilty, you're innocent. That's not what they were. Judges were military leaders in Israel. They were people that uh, served as commanders and led the armies and said, this is where we're going to fight, this is how we're going to fight, we're going to help deliver Israel from our enemies. Uh, so Samuel served as kind of a military leader, in a sense, over for Israel. So Samuel was a, a judge, a priest, and a prophet for Israel. And Samuel was also sent to anoint the first two kings of Israel. Uh, he, and the first two kings, of course, were, just to make sure you're paying attention, Saul and David, Saul and David good, thank you. I want to make sure somebody's paying attention here. Uh, but the people rejected, they saw what Samuel sent this to going to the first two kings of Israel because the people rejected God as king. And we see this in uh, 1 Samuel 8, 6 through 7. Who wants to read? Miriam. So remember at the time that uh, the people didn't want Samuel to be judged over them. They wanted a king like the other nations. And Samuel took personal offense to this because he felt like he was being rejected. And God said, no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. And Israel was set up as a nation that they had one king already. They had God as their king. And the people said, no, we want to be like other nations. We want a human king over us. We don't want God as our king. We want a man as our king. And God said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Uh, and so, uh, so God said, don't, 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 don't feel bad that they're rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And remember, God already knew this was going to happen. In Deuteronomy, he already set up a plan for when the people ask for a king, this is what you're going to do. And he set up, this is how you're going to set up your king. And he already had. He already knew it was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise to God that this was going to happen. Um, 
but the people rejected God as king. Um, but even in that, Samuel served in a way that there was no accusation that could be brought against his authority, his time as judge. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 3 and 5. Matthew, go ahead. Here I am, against me before the Lord and before his anointed. So remember, this is uh, kind of Samuel's farewell speech as uh, he's appointed the king now and he's saying, I'm stepping down as judge. Now, let me know, have I cheated any of you? Have I done wrongly? Have I judged unfairly? Right now is the time. Bring up any charges against me and I'll fix it. I'll, I'll make things right. This is your chance. And the people could come up with nothing. They said, you've, you've done nothing wrong. You've judged fairly. You haven't taken a bribe. You haven't cheated us at all. And he said, okay, just make sure God's witness now. If there's anything at all, you let me know. And they said, nope, there's nothing wrong. And, and Samuel stands up and, and pleads his case before the people. If I've done anything wrong, you let me know. And the people could come up with nothing. And so Samuel, um, I keep on losing my mic here. Uh, Samuel, uh, you know, he lays it all out there. He says, have I been fair to you? Have I been a good judge? And, and the people can come up with no accusation against him. So it, it just speaks to Samuel's testimony of how he served the Lord and how he was just this faithful servant. Uh, and, and just, and remember, remember how Samuel was brought up because he was given to Eli's care and he had to serve under this, this wicked priest and uh, this guy who did not do what's right and his sons didn't do what's right and they cheated the people and acted unfairly and Samuel somehow turns out to be a man who loves the Lord and served the Lord and did what was right. Uh, could serve God all the days of his life and they could not come up with a single accusation against Samuel. So uh, just a great testimony and you know anybody that has an excuse, well, you know, I, I had bad examples in my life. I, they, I, I, I can't help that I turned out this way. You know, my parents were this way, and I, I grew up in public schools, and you know, things were bad. I, I couldn't do the right thing. You don't have an excuse. You, you, you're responsible for your own actions. You're responsible for your own choices. Samuel had the worst influences that he lived under. The, the priesthood was corrupt. They did what was wrong. Uh, they weren't serving the Lord, and Samuel start, still turned out to be the most godly man in all of Israel. You know, his circumstances were against him, and he still served the Lord faithfully. So there's no excuse. Our choices are our own. We, we can choose to serve God, or, or we can choose to serve ourselves, but it's our choice to do that. And the circumstances may make it harder or easier, but it's still our choice to do that. So, so Samuel's a great example for us. So Samuel, first, first person, chapters 1 through 16. Questions? Comments? Yeah. Concerns? <laughs> I don't know what you guys are raising your hand for. <laughs> You're going to read the whole chapters 1 through 16? I wasn't going to read that. Second person. And you can see there's overlap here because their stories do overlap. Saul. Saul. First Samuel 9, he shows up first, and he goes through the end of the book through chapter 31. 
Saul's the son of Kish. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. When we get introduced to Saul, we notice that he's handsome and he's tall. He's, uh, he's good-looking and he's taller than everyone. Head and shoulders above everyone else. I was, uh, we were at uh, homeschool soccer yesterday, and I was watching uh, Levi play, and he was on a team, and he was playing, and his goalie was this little tiny girl, and he's up here, and the goalie's down here, and I'm thinking, well, that's kind of like Saul. Levi's this tall kid, and he's head and shoulders above the goalie that's playing on his team. I mean, he's like a monster, and she's this tiny little girl. I, that's just what I, the first thing that came to my mind was I was thinking of Saul. I don't know why, just... You know, Levi's just what? That was thinking of Saul. Well, I, I'm just thinking physical, not not spiritual. Hopefully, yes. Um, so answer it's all. Let's look at uh, let's look at his characteristics. First Samuel nine one through two. Abigail. Abigail likes this passage. This is what she's looking for in a man, as far as physical, right? Okay. And so uh, he's the son of Kish, and this mighty man of power, we think uh, this word power here may mean that he was wealthy. Um, and again, we, we looked at the story that uh, Saul was out with his servants, which is another indication he might be wealthy, uh, trying to find the lost family donkeys, which again, they had livestock, so another indication that they might be wealthy. So it might be a wealthy family, um, more than a powerful family. Um, and we see this choice and handsome son whose name was Saul, and he's more handsome. There was not a more handsome person among the children of Israel. You know, this this guy was. Uh, again, when you look at who's going to be king, um, you got this tall, handsome guy. This this guy looks like the choice person to be king. Um, so not only was he handsome, but he he actually started out humble and God fearing. You know, when we first see him, um, we see a humble attitude in uh, chapter nine, verse twenty-one. Mm-hmm. Let's read that. Josiah, go ahead. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the of the tribes of Israel? And my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why didn't you speak like this to me? This is where uh, Samuel first tells him that God has chosen him and he doesn't understand because he's saying, I'm I'm basically a nobody. Why are you why are you telling me this? I, I'm nobody special. I'm not anybody that God should consider to be king. And he has this humble attitude. I, again, I, when I first read this and studied this out, it just doesn't seem like he's putting on an act here. I think he really thinks that he's not deserving of this honor. So uh, he's, I think he's really being humble. Then we look at First Samuel 11, verse 13. Uh, go ahead, Lemuel. But Saul said, Not to me shall be put to death this day, but the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. And remember, this is, uh, this is after Saul gets his first victory, and there were these uh, worthless men who were, uh, they, they weren't supporting Saul at the beginning, and they said, why should, we, why should we honor Saul's king? What can he do? And Saul gets his first victory, and some of his supporters say, okay, let's kill these guys now because they weren't supporting Saul. They're worthless. And Saul turns around and says, look, doesn't matter if they were supporting me or not. I, I didn't hate this victory. God got this victory. So we're not, we're not going to kill them. This is God's victory. This isn't my victory. And he, he 
he says, God accomplished salvation in Israel today. This is not about me. This is not about who supported me or didn't support me. We're honoring God today. And, and you see at the beginning, Saul seems like he has the right attitude. He's humble. He's God-fearing. He, he seems to want to do what's right. And when you get done with chapter 11, you're thinking, okay, Saul looks like the right guy for the job. He looks like the king that Israel needs. He looks like the king that, that God chose a guy who's really going to honor him and serve him. But then we see that Saul did not continue to obey God. And, and we see in three per places, Saul does things where God makes a pronouncement that your kingdom's not going to last. So in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, um, Saul is commanded to wait for Samuel to offer a burnt offering before he goes to battle. And he's supposed to wait seven days. And after seven days, Samuel doesn't show up. And so Saul gets impatient and says, well, Samuel's not coming. I'm going to offer the burnt offering myself. And so he goes ahead and offers the burnt offering. And he's in the middle of that. And Samuel comes. And Samuel says, why didn't you wait for me? And Saul says, well, the people were getting antsy and they're starting to leave. So I thought I'd better offer the burnt offering. And Samuel says, well, God's going to take away the kingdom now because you didn't wait. Verse, in chapter 15, God gives Saul command and says, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites, destroy all the people, all the livestock, and just wipe them out. What Saul does instead is he leaves their king alive and saves the best animals. Samuel comes and Saul says, Hey, I've done everything God commanded me to do. And Samuel's like, Well, why do I hear animals? You bring animals into battle with you? You brought sheep with you into battle? You know, your battle sheep? Yeah, um, and Saul says, well, it was the, the people, they wanted to save the animals for sacrifice, and I couldn't stop them. And Samuel is like, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And because you didn't obey God's voice, God's chosen someone else to be king. He's going to take your kingdom away. And then in chapter 28, and we just talked about this a few weeks ago, Saul gets a little scared because the Philistines are amassing their army and I think he's probably outnumbered and fearing for his life. So he tries to talk to God. God doesn't answer him. So plan B, let's go find a medium and conduct a seance and we'll try to get Samuel up here. He's dead at this point, obviously. And we're going to try to call Samuel up from the dead and talk to him. And God allows Samuel to come back from the dead and Samuel says, why have you called me back? Saul says, well, God's not talking to me, so I need an answer of what I'm supposed to do. And my paraphrase again is Samuel said, well, if God's not talking to you, why do you think I'm going to answer you? I'm a servant of God. Because you've done this and because you, you failed to kill the Amalekites, remember that? God took away the kingdom then. Because you've done this now too, not only is he taking away your kingdom, but he's going to do it tomorrow. Going to kill you and your sons, and Israel's going to lose the battle because of this. And so, so three times God gives Saul a direct message that your kingdom's not going to last, and He's going to give God's going to give your kingdom to somebody else uh, because Samuel did not obey God, and because he was not faithful to God. And so God removed the kingdom from Saul and gave it to another, um, and and we see that. So that's kind of a summary of Saul, a, a king who. Uh, started out with such promise, who seemed to start out on the right foot, but was not faithful to continue to follow God, was not faithful to continue to walk in God's ways, was not faithful to obey what God had told him to do. 
And because of that, he, he lost a kingdom that I, I honestly think, even though um, God's plan was to bring the Messiah through Judah and to bring an everlasting kingdom through Judah, I think if Saul would have obeyed, that Saul's line would have had some kind of kingdom on earth. And that God would have worked it out that there would have been a kingdom through Judah and a kingdom through Saul also. That there would have been two kind of side-by-side kingdoms maybe or something. I don't know how God, God would have worked something out, I think, if, if Saul would have obeyed and continued to follow him. And I, again, I, I don't know the what-ifs. God knows the what-ifs. God knows what would have happened if he would have obeyed. But I, I think God... Um, and I, I, There's a verse too. Now that I'm thinking about that. Um, see if I can find it quick. I don't want to take too much time, but if I can find it, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, I want to say it's in chapter fifteen. Da, 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 da. I thought there was a verse where Samuel says, if you would have obeyed, God would have made you, given you a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom or something like that. But um, yeah, oh, Okay, it's in verse, it's chapter 13. Verse, chapter 13, verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So there's a promise there that Samuel says God would have established your kingdom forever. And again, God promised that the Messiah would come through Judah and that Judah would reign. And yet Samuel there says that God would have established a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom through Saul. So somehow there would have been two kingdoms. And God would have worked that out somehow. So however that would have worked, that would have worked. So... Saul had great opportunity to serve God and really have done, could have done something great. Anyway, so, so Saul could have obeyed. Saul could have followed God. He did not. Um, and he lost a great deal from not following God. Then we see the third person, uh, third main character is David. And I didn't do a lot on David because we're going to spend a lot more time on David in 2 Samuel. But David, uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapters 16 through 31, we see that he's the eighth son of Jesse. Uh, and remember his story uh, after Saul was rejected by God the second time. Um, Samuel's mourning, and God says, how long are you going to mourn? Go now, I'm going to show you who's going to replace Saul. And so he sends him off to Jesse's house, and he's going there to sacrifice, but also to find the next king. So he goes to Jesse's house and tells him, get, get Jesse together with his sons and go and sacrifice. I'll show you the king. So he gets up there and Jesse's sons come and the first one comes, Abinadab, and he goes, okay, that's, this is the one for sure. And God says, uh-uh. You're looking at the outside. God looks at the inside. That's not the one. And, and Sam is like, okay. Then he shows him the second one, and nope, not that one. Third one, nope, not that one. Four, five, six, seven, not that one. And he's looking around, and there's no more sons. 
And Sam was like, are there any more? And Jesse is, well, there's David. He's off with the sheep. So we don't invite him to these things. Sam was like, okay, bring him in. We need all of them. I told you to invite all the sons. Get David. David comes in, and this is the one. The, the ruddy, red-haired teenager. This is the next king of Israel. So David is the one that's chosen of the tribe of Judah. He's the shepherd. He's the one, kind of the forgotten son, the one that's off serving the sheep. Again, uh, and, and the shepherd, it, it seems to have prepared David well. You know, it, How could David face Goliath? Well, I fought the bear. I fought the lion. The uncircumcised Philistines could be no different. You know, God saved me from the bear and the lion. You're just a teenager. Yeah, well, God's protecting me from the bear and the lion. I mean, this is just another bear and lion, basically. Um, I, I think, how did he learn to play the harp? Well, he probably had a lot of time sitting around with sheep. How was he, how was he able to contemplate God? Well, he probably had a lot of time just sitting around with sheep, not doing much of anything. He probably thought a lot about who God was and, and composing. So, I mean, the, the shepherd thing seemed to prepare. How did he know how to lead Dumb Israelites, so he's leading dumb sheep around. <laughs> I, I, seriously, I, I think the shepherd thing helped David a whole lot, developing the man he was. So he he was a shepherd, but God used that I think to develop him quite a bit, and so so he was able to do that. And again, uh, being the eighth son, uh, some of his brothers didn't seem to like him a whole lot at different times. He went to the battle with Goliath, and his brothers kind of mocked him a bit. Why didn't you come up here? You came to see the battle. You, you just wanted to see what's coming on. You wanted to see the war. You're just, you're just trying to see what's going on and see the excitement. Get out of here. We're, we're fighting a war. We're not playing here. Go away, David. Um, but he, he, he defeats Goliath. Um, so Saul appoints him his personal musician. Saul appoints him a general in his army. David wins renown with the army. He becomes a great general. He wins lots of battles. He serves Saul. Saul gets jealous. And remember the song, Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. Saul has done great, but David, man, he's, he's the really great warrior. He's a really great general. It's all realizes, well, what else can David have except the kingdom itself? So I've got to eliminate this guy. And so he's attacked and persecuted by Saul. He's, he's made to flee from Saul for a good portion of his adult life. Um, and again, I, we have many psalms because David is fleeing from Saul because David's forced to trust in God because David is forced to look to God because that's about all he has at, at different times in his life. You go through the Psalms and, and there's so much about my enemies, facing my enemies. God, my enemies are persecuting me. I need to look to you. Just read through the Psalms. It's, it's about David and, and just, I have nothing else but you, God. So, um, a lot, of, a lot was developed, I think, in David's life about trusting God and about God being faithful to him because of what has happened in his life. We wouldn't have a lot of what we have if David wasn't going through these things. So he's attacked and persecuted by Saul. Twice he was in a position to kill Saul. 
remember in the cave and uh, then when he snuck into the camp at night uh, and he spared Saul's life and, and we learned a lot from that. So, so David, David's life is one where, um, and, and we see times where David failed a little bit where he didn't trust God with uh, uh, Nabal the fool. You know, he was ready to, to slaughter the guy in his household and uh, I think God in his mercy sent Abigail out to stop him. Um, and we also saw where I think David a couple of times went to the Philistines and maybe he shouldn't have done that. Maybe he should have trusted God a little more in those circumstances. But for the most part, we see a man who trusted God, who made the right choices, uh, who, who did what was right. And, and uh, we'll get to Second Samuel and there'll be a couple of times where he makes wrong choices again. Where he makes sinful choices. But we also see a man who repents, who turns back to God, who confesses his sin who makes things right with God. So David is a good example to us. He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. No, that, that, thank you, Ed, for that confession. Um, um, I'm not perfect either. You're not perfect either, right? None of us are. It's how we respond to our sin that's important. And David, David shows us that when he does sin, he does respond in the correct manner. Um, in fact, uh, what we'll deal with in Second Samuel, we'll deal with David's sin to Bathsheba, which is horrendous. I mean, he makes so many mistakes in that, the, the, the sin with Bathsheba itself, and then he goes and murders a guy after that to cover it up. But we get Psalm 51 out of that. Have mercy on me, O God. And, uh, you know, do not, for, uh, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That the whole Psalm 51, a beautiful Psalm. Um, you know, David does respond with a tender heart towards God. So um, we're not excusing David's sin, but we, we, are, we do know that David, um, unlike Saul, who seems to have moments of regret but no repentance, David is a man who repents of his sin and turns from it. Uh, and so David's a good example to us of that. So uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about David, and we'll, we'll see more of his heart as we go through Second Samuel. So... Uh, so those are three people. So if somebody says, what, what, what's Samuel about? You can answer in one way. You can say, well, there's three people in Samuel. Here's the three people. you got Samuel, uh, a godly man, a, a priest, a judge, uh, a prophet who served God. And even though his circumstances were against him, he was faithful to God. We see Saul, a king who was appointed by God and started out so well, but failed to obey God and his kingdom was torn from him. And then we see David, a man after God's own heart who was uh, served God, but was persecuted and was, was mistreated and uh, still continued to serve God. And you can talk about that. So let's go to side two. Important themes in Samuel. How does Samuel start out? Well, Samuel starts out that Israel was at a low point spiritually at the beginning of this book. If you remember back to Judges, I know that's years ago for those of you who were here for Judges. Um, Judges starts out with uh, the end of Joshua. And at the end of Joshua, the people are somewhat serving God. I mean, they're going into the land, they're taking the land, they're trusting God. And as we go through judges, the judges, each judge is getting a little bit, little bit, little bit more carnal and a little bit more away from God, right? The first judges are serving God pretty faithfully. And you get down to Samson. Samson's a, a judge that really doesn't serve God at all. He serves himself for the most part. And Israel is getting to this low point in their history where every man is doing what's right in their own eyes. And that's where we enter First Samuel is basically every man's doing what's right in their own eyes. Nobody, 
in Israel is really serving God. Uh, and we look at how the uh, Judges, or First Samuel starts out, the priesthood was corrupt. You have Eli again, who was not a godly man. Um, he's a man who sees Hannah praying and thinks she's drunk. He can't even recognize prayer. Uh, you can see that he was judging corruptly and his sons were judging corruptly. Um, we see in chapter 4 that the Ark of the Covenant was not at the tabernacle, it was not the place of worship, it was captured. Idolatry was practiced. We see in uh, chapter 7 when uh, uh, Samuel addresses the people, he's addressing their idolatry. He say, turn away from your idols. He stop worshiping the idols and start serving the true God. He has to address their basic worship, that they're not worshiping the right person. Um, judges were dishonest. Samuel's sons were not judging correctly. And then uh, we see that this is where this book starts out. And through the influence of Samuel and David, these conditions were somewhat turned around, that uh, Samuel and David started to address issues, and they started to address the people and saying, you need to start worshiping God, you need to start serving God alone. Um, and they were a positive influence in the people. So um, as First Samuel starts out, the people were far away from God, and, and uh, Samuel and David... Uh, work to help draw people back towards God and start leading them in the right path. Uh, and that was an important thing that's going on in 1 Samuel, that people were starting to turn back to God. Uh, another thing we see here is the establishment of Judah as ruler in the Davidic covenant, which you'll see more in 2 Samuel. Uh, so in Genesis 49, verses 8 and 12, what, this is where we, we see Judah being shown as ruler. Who wants to read this? Joanna, go ahead. I want you to look at verse 10 there, especially. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And that, that's, that's a direct reference there, I think, to the Messiah, to Jesus, and um, his rule that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now, um, you know, if I were God, and I'm not, you know, I'm looking at the, the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 sons of uh, Jacob, you know, the one I would pick out would probably be uh, Joseph. Yeah, this, this was the one that acted godly, right? This is the one that, uh, you know, was, was honorable. This is the one that did what was right. Obviously, this is the one who I would pick the Messiah from. For whatever reason, God picks Judah. Judah was a murderer. Judah did a lot of wrong things. Now, there, there is one instance where, uh, remember when uh, the brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, and... Joseph was there, and they didn't know it was Joseph, and Joseph uh, decides he's going to plant his cup in their grain, uh, grain uh, sacks. And they went off, and then he stops them and says, oh, somebody stole my cup. And they search through the sacks, and the brothers are like, we didn't steal anything. Really, we didn't. We wouldn't do that. So they go through the sacks, and they find it in Benjamin's sack. And so he's going to take Benjamin into custody. 
And do you remember who steps up to say, take, I want to take his place because if you take Benjamin, our father is going to die. Who is it? It is Judah. So I don't know if maybe that kind of, at that point, Judah gets in and says, I'd rather sacrifice myself for my brother's sake and for my father's sake. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the one one spot where Judah actually is, is selfless in that. I don't know. They, that, that's the one story they always get. Like, oh well, there, there's Judah acting like a little bit like a, a savior, a, a sacrificer there. But anyway, but but Judah's the one that, as uh, Jacob gives this blessing out to each of the sons, all of a sudden you see this phrasing here in chapter ten or verse ten of, of chapter forty-nine, and he's blessing his sons. He says, "The scepter shall not depart from Judah." and a lawgiver from between his feet. And this reference is to the Messiah here, to, to Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is going to fulfill this, that he's going to be the one who rules. His scepter shall not depart. And he's going to be the lawgiver. He's going to be the one to rule. And so, and we see this, and God is going to establish his kingdom, starting with David. And then we're going to see this in Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter 7. When we get there, we're going to see the promises made to David that your kingdom is going to be established forever. But right now, is David's kingdom established in the world here? No. Israel has a prime minister right now. It doesn't have a, a son of David on the throne, right? But God's going to keep that promise because the son of David is going to come and rule. He's going to return and he's going to rule on the earth. And that's when Christ returns, he's going to come and establish his throne again. And so that, that promise is going to be fulfilled in the future when Christ comes back. So, so that promise is going to be kept to David. So this is the beginning of that where um, we see that as Saul is rejected and God says, I'm going to choose a man after my own heart, a man who's better than Saul to be on the throne, he chooses a man from the tribe of Judah, and that man's line is going to be the line where the Messiah comes from, so that he can establish this promise that he made in Genesis. God has this whole plan going, and we're seeing it being uh, being fulfilled, being planned out here in Samuel. And and they probably didn't see it so much in at at the time. They they probably didn't recognize it. But we're looking back and we say, "Oh, look, God's plan is working out," and we can see that happening. And it's it's, it's kind of neat as you watch this, how you know Saul's on the throne, and you're going, "Okay, Saul's great. Oh, oh wait, Saul's doing bad things. Okay, God's gonna pick out somebody else. Oh wait, he's going to the tribe of Ju- he's going to the tribe of Judah. Oh, that's cool. Wait." Go back to Genesis. He's going to the tribe of Judah. Oh, he's doing, God's doing something. God's going to bring about the Messiah. He's, he's, he's fulfilling the promise of Genesis. He's going to the tribe of Judah. You know, it, it's all connecting here. So, so it's, it's, to me, it's kind of neat. I, I, like, I like seeing this stuff. And, and God has this all planned out. And, and you know that God has it all planned out because God's omniscient and he's eternal and he, ha- he has the whole plan out but it, it's just it's kind of neat in history to see it working out so that's I, I think it's kind of fun and you might say okay sean we know that we we we, we have a whole bible we know it works out but it, it's neat to see it work out i like it so the establishment of judah as ruler and david covenant so this is this is neat to me um so that's one of the important themes that we see here um, we also see the sovereignty of god in this um we see the sovereignty of god in the birth of samuel um, and I think the birth of anyone is 
the sovereignty of God. You know, why does God bring about who he brings about? Why, why are you born? Well, because God's sovereignty allowed you to be born. Um, we've, had, um, we've had some miscarriages in our, in our marriage, and some of the miscarriages, if we didn't have them, some of our other children wouldn't be born. So some of our children are around because other children haven't been born, and so there's a sovereign plan that different children are here because other children weren't born. Um, you know, so that there's a sovereign plan in that, and things have worked out the way they have worked out. Well, Samuel's birth was sovereign. God, we can see working in that, and the Bible tells us that God worked in that. First Samuel 1, 26-28. Diana, go ahead. So here you see, uh, she prayed to the Lord, and the Lord has granted me my, my petition. The Lord has given me this child. And it's, it's, it's true. God has chosen to do this. And you see it in this situation with Samuel, how God has worked through this. God gave Hannah this child, and look what this child has done. Look what Samuel accomplished because of God's sovereignty. And, and you know, it... It, and like I said, every every child born is sovereign of God. I mean, God is 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 involved in every child's birth. I, I truly believe that. So, it, to me, you see the sovereignty of God, but I, you know, sovereignty of God's in everything. So I, I don't want to overemphasize it, but um, we we see this in here that God has worked in this situation to to work it out to His glory here. Um, so I don't want to say too much. I, I, let's just go on and read a little bit more. The pointing of David as king. This is a sovereign. Act of God here. First Samuel sixteen one. Who wants to read this? A lot of reading. Jonathan. Now the Lord has said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, saying I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So here, uh, I have provided myself a king among his sons. This wasn't a random choice on Samuel's part. This wasn't just go find somebody who looks like he'll make a good king. This is God appointing for himself a king. This is God choosing his king. Uh, God's sovereignty again in this. Um, And we see that uh, God chose a man who patiently, patiently trusted God's plan for him. Um, in 1 Samuel 24 and 26, this is where, again, David uh, allows Saul to live, even though he has a chance to kill him. And David uh, is the right guy that God chose. You know, God chose David, and David proves that God chose the right guy because who else would have let Saul live in those situations? I wouldn't have. I would have been like, yay, God opened the door, I'm going to kill Saul and become king. Um, David, David said, I'm going to trust God in this. Um, I, I don't think there would be many people that would be in that situation and do that. Um, and we see God controlling the fate of Saul and his kingdom. 
the sovereignty of God in that. In 1 Samuel 13, 13 and 14. Um, who would like to read that? Anyone? You're all done reading? Still have, go ahead. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which is many. For now the Lord will become settling and kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has taught for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Yeah, and here you can see that uh, the the Lord would have established your kingdom, but the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. The God is in control of Saul's kingdom. I would have given you a kingdom, but now I'm not going to. God's in control of that, his sovereignty over Saul's kingdom. You don't have control of your kingdom, Saul. It's in God's control. It's in God's hand. You know, no matter what you do, Saul... Your kingdom's done. You can't. You can't change that. God's in control of this. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip over the other two because it's kind of the same thing. We'll just do it for time's sake. But, but in each of these, God, uh, the second one, God has rejected you. Your kingdom's done. God's in control of that. And then, uh, in chapter 28, uh, even to the point of tomorrow, you're going to die. Your kingdom's over tomorrow. It's not just that. Eventually, God's going to take away your kingdom. I, specifically, you're going to go into battle tomorrow and die. That's how much control God has. God's sovereignty over that. Um, you know, we can't escape the control of God over over everything. God is sovereign. So the sovereignty of God, we see that as a theme in First Samuel. Um, the Spirit of God, and um, you know. Sometimes we think of the Spirit of God as a New Testament concept. The Spirit of God is in the Old Testament, too, and we see that quite a bit in 1 Samuel. Um, we see the Spirit of God coming upon Saul and David at their anointings in chapters 10 and chapter 16. Uh, and so we see that both there. Uh, we see the Spirit of God coming upon Saul and causing him to bring forth prophecy. Uh, chapter 10, when Saul is actually serving the Lord, he, he gets prophecy on him as he's searching for the donkeys, remember? He, he, the Spirit comes upon him, he starts prophesying. And then verse 19, he's actually not serving God, and the Spirit of God comes upon him, and he starts prophesying. This is when he's actually hunting for David, and the Spirit of God comes upon him and actually hinders him from hunting from David, and he starts prophesying. Mm-hmm. And so he, it actually kind of works against what Saul's plans are, but God uses that. Um, we also see the Spirit of God coming upon Saul in chapter 11 as he's fighting a battle, and it helps him to fight the battle, helps him lead in battle. Um, and so the Spirit of God works in his life to be a military commander. So we see the Spirit of God working and coming on him for that specific task in the Old Testament. And remember, again, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament would come upon people for a certain time for a certain task. It's not like a New Testament. I keep on losing this mic. I don't like that. Um, the Spirit of God in the New Testament, of course, indwells believers permanently. Where if you trust in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. He becomes your guarantee. He becomes a seal. And so you're, you have the Spirit um, your whole life. Um, but in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come and go, would come for a certain task and then leave. This is why, again, I mentioned Psalm 51. David says, do not let your Holy Spirit depart from me because there was 
this thing that the spirit would come and go, and if he was in sin, the spirit might lead him, and he wouldn't have the Holy Spirit anymore, so he'd have to be saying, don't let your Holy Spirit lead me, because that was a possibility. Anyway, um, so the Spirit of God working and coming upon men for a specific task, that's the theme we see in there. And then the demonstration of the personal, personal and national effects of sin. So um, we see the sin of Eli and his sons resulted in their deaths. Um, Eli, of course, was unfaithful to God. His sons were wicked in their, uh, um, the way they were acting as priests. Uh, and because Eli did not deal with his sons, they all died in one day in a battle. Um, the lack of reverence for the ark led to the deaths of many in Israel. Uh, they, people did not act the right way towards the ark, and many were killed. Saul's sin resulted in his rejection, his rejection of God as king, so that's a personal result of his sin. And we see that in a number of passages. Uh, Salson led to his death, the death of his sons, the death of his soldiers, and hardship to many in Israel. We talked about that last week in our lesson. Um, and then we, David's sin, which we haven't seen yet, uh, in 2 Samuel had personal and national consequences. Um, not only did David have hardship in his life, including the death of one of his sons and uh, the loss of his kingdom for a while, um, but one of his sins actually caused the death of many of the people in Israel. Uh, and so sin has consequences. It has effect on others around us, and we talked about that last week. So kind of another way, if somebody asks you, what, what does First Samuel deal with? What can we learn from First Samuel? Here's a list of some things. Again, not an exhaustive list necessarily, but uh, some things that we, we learn from First Samuel, some of the themes that are in First Samuel. Uh, that it has taught us and has showed us through Scripture. So, any thoughts or questions or anything anybody like to add? Again, not an exhaustive list. There's probably like, oh yeah, there's also this, there's also this. It, not everything that could have been in there. Okay, so before you go on, I, I forgot to talk to Jim about this. I'm actually going to hand out um, what this is. Is uh, This is... As I printed out, I realized this is the third draft of our vision, mission, and key value statements. This is what I'm going to start teaching on next week. Um, and actually, I'll just hand it out, but um, if I'd like you to kind of start looking at it. I'm giving it to you ahead of time so you can look at it. This is the third draft, like I said. This is not necessarily a finished product, but this is kind of what we started to come up with. And this is what we are thinking of as what we want to be as a church, what we want to believe in, what we want to identify as. And so we want to get, since I've written this and the men have kind of looked over it, but you guys haven't, we want to teach on why we think this is a good statement, but we want to get your input as a church. Because if we say as leaders, this is what we think, but we don't get your input, then it's not really the church's, it's really just kind of leadership's view. And so this is why we're going to teach on it, but we also want to get your input and your questions on it. So that's why we're going to be teaching this. Now, if you are here and you're like, I'm not going to look at this before next week, um, go ahead and give this back to me before you leave today so that you don't lose it. 
Um, but I'm going to take several weeks on it because I'm, I want to teach this kind of thoroughly because I want to show you why we think what we wrote here is biblical and um, why we wrote it and listed it as we wrote it. Um, also, the, the last part, and I left it on here, because it's, it's, it's probably the roughest part. What we would like in a pastor is very rough, and we haven't really talked about it much, so that one's really open for interpretation and input. Um, it may change quite a bit, um, and I don't know if we'll talk about it as much, um, because that's probably the farthest off, but mainly the first couple parts there, the vision and mission and the key values are the main parts I want to go over. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. Now, two weeks we're going to have the baptism, so we probably won't cover it that week for sure. Um, but uh, look it over, come with questions, come with thoughts, come with anything you like, well, I don't like the way that's worded, or I, I'm not sure about that, or maybe we need to add this, or maybe we need to take away this, or thoughts like that, because we want, we want true, honest input. Like I said, it's just a draft. This isn't like, you're not going to offend me if you think that something needs to be changed, because that's what we're looking for, okay? Sean, we also need to make, I forgot to mention it this morning, in the announcement, uh, we are going to have combined Sunday schools in the auditorium. Yes. Because of this very thing. Yes, yeah, so we're... It's going to involve the whole church, not just yeah. So we're yeah. So we want to uh, have uh, other Sunday school teachers involved. So we're having combined Sunday school. It also gives the other Sunday school teachers a little break, which is nice for them. Um, and uh, yeah, so it will be a combined Sunday school next week for the next several weeks uh, in the auditorium. So any any thoughts or questions offhand, not with the content of this, but anything else. We would ask you, again, this is something that we, we want to prayerfully consider uh, this whole thing because it, this is this is beginning, a new beginning for us. Yeah. This is a very new beginning for us and we need your prayers as well as you know, not just Sean and I and then and Sean and Thomas. It, this is our this is what we hope to present to the public that this is who we are. So uh, this is, uh, and we want that we need to pray in the And we, we want to have something that we, for lack of a better way of putting it, we want to filter what we're trying to do, um, what we're doing, and say this is, this is our direction, our purpose, our goals, so that when we say, well, we should do this. Well, well, should we do this? Does it fit what our direction is? Does it fit what our purpose is? Does it fit who we want to be? Instead of just grabbing ideas and saying, oh, we should do this, we should do this, we should do this. We want to make sure that it's who we want to be as a church. Um, what kind of church we want to be. What kind of church we think is a biblical church to be. Um, and that's what this statement is kind of trying to do is define who we are. And so we're not just we're not just uh, grabbing every little idea or every little fad that's going on, but that we're 
we're trying to be true to what we think Northridge Baptist should be uh, according to what God wants us to be. So that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do with this. Uh, and try not to be what one person or one group of people thinks we should be, but uh, kind of define ourselves by what we think the Bible, first of all, what the Bible is and, and what we think the Bible says we should be. So anyway, so again, if you have a chance, look it over, come with thoughts and questions next week. We're not going to go through the whole thing next week. My thought is we may end up just going through the first part of the first part next week, depending on how far we get, we'll see. Um, the, first, the first section of vision I, is extremely important, so it might take two weeks just to get through the vision, and we might, the rest of it might take a little bit faster, but we'll see. Uh, I haven't I went through enough. this, you know, some of this I went through as, as an overview one Wednesday night, yeah. and now we're trying to get into more detail of it. Yep. So, um, let's go ahead and close prayer. I'm just going to close in prayer this morning, so. Heavenly Father, we do uh, praise you and we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for uh, just the chance to study your word and especially study First uh, Samuel, Lord. Um, we thank you that uh, we have uh, these stories of your saints and your people uh, from many, many years ago. And even though uh, it seems like so long ago, Lord, the, the, that we can still see who you are and what you have done and how you have worked in people's lives. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to grow from these things, Lord. We know that um, even from the teaching of 1 Corinthians that you have given us this as an example to us that uh, we may know how to live and we may know how to act, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would uh, draw us closer to you, that you would help us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to encourage one another and to walk in your ways. Uh, may we be... Uh, a unified group of people, a unified body that we may glorify you and make you known to those around us. Uh, Lord, help us to grow not only uh, as a, a body in numbers, but also grow in our faith to you, Lord. Uh, thank you for this time together today. Uh, may you be glorified in everything we do say, think, and our attitudes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.